Jeez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. Hey, before we get into the podcast today, um, there's a lot of shit going on in the world at the moment, and um, we're very blessed to have listeners from all over the world, all corners of the globe, um, which we're very, very pleased for and very thankful for, but we also are aware that there may be people here listening who are affected by what's going on in Ukraine at the moment. If you are, we're thinking of you and wanted you to know that we are supporting you and uh, wishing you all the very best. And to everyone else around the world, stay safe, look after yourselves, and hope this podcast gives you an hour of stupidity and fun. Thanks. And from me, I can only echo Alex's thoughts. Uh, we hope you're keeping well in a very, very difficult situation. And to to anyone else out there who is also struggling with, you know, the anxiety of the situation and it, and it constantly flooding what feels like every day on newsfeed and social feeds. Um, take time for yourself. Make make sure to pull away and give yourself the time that you need. And that's okay. But um, to everyone that is currently being affected by by what's going on in Ukraine at the moment, just know that we're, we're setting our best, best wishes and um, we're thinking of you. Stay safe. When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Slap, slap, slap. Les différents podcasts de frappe. Arsenal have been through their mile and a half of pipe like Andy Dufresne in the Shawshank Redemption where you have to see the light at the end of the tunnel. El podcast de golpe diferente. But Arsenal are going through their pipe, like I say. We'll be back. The Different Knock Podcast. Maybe we'll have a good surprise for you. What should that be? Welcome back to the Arsenal Soccer Cannons Score the Goal Podcast. A lighthearted look at the soccer cannons with Chad Milhouse and my very awesome dude. Bart Abrams. Because <laughs> it's like Brad Adams. I thought I, that was I, quick. I, I tried. That was, that was on the spot. Yeah. That was great. Talent. Hello, Bradley. Hello, handsome. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks, mate. How are you? I am. I haven't left the house much this weekend. So I feel a little bit like I haven't spoken to anyone. And you know, when you haven't spoken to anyone for like a while and you sort of forget how to communicate with them. Yeah, you've so, got to dust off your scope, your social skills. Yeah, yeah. You're like back in a social situation. You're just all in your head, and you're like, "Oh God, do, do, should I say that? Is that do people say that? Should I share the details of my toilet trip? Is that right? Do, what do people think of me? Oh God." Um, but more importantly, Bradley, than my toilet thoughts, Arsenal won. We did three two, just about at Vicarage Road. Um, can I just? I do have something I want to say and get off my chest. Do you mind if I just take no, it, no, no. take the take, floor for just a, just just a moment? Take the wheel. I don't want to get all pissy over something. And look, you know, I, I appreciate there's a whole oh everyone's getting offended too easily these days, and I, and I get it, and like I understand it. But I'm seriously pissed off at Sky and the commentators for how they handled that game because I am really really frustrated that all through the game, they were calling that Watford midfielder a loser. And I just think it's completely unprofessional. I mean, why on earth 
would you be calling a professional Premier League footballer a loser throughout the whole game? I mean, I'm thinking of writing a complaint. It's it's completely un- unprofessional. Stupid. It's a good joke because 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 the thing is the thing is it's a great joke because you could easily take it in the direction the comment the commentators the 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 punditry was awful today. I'm just to get yeah. this all out of the way. We were all of I didn't watch the pre match punditry. I never do. We were about 35 seconds into the halftime punditry before they turned back to chat about United and City and spent more time talking about the Wayne Rooney overhead kick against City than they did the actual overhead kick that they were meant to be commenting on in the game. And the same thing happened in the post-match breakdown of it. It, it. it baffles me. It makes no sense as to why you would get a bunch of Man City and Man United ex-players to be the pundits for an Arsenal game and also to then just steer the conversation completely away because Manchester Man City fans weren't watching that game or at least most of them wouldn't have been. Man United fans, most of them probably weren't watching that game. Who was that conversation for but themselves and to stroke their own egos of look at how much I can pontificate about how good my club used to be or how good I used to be as a footballer. It was it was just fucking useless. And that is exactly why I will never give my money to Sky or BT and I will use every loophole I can to sign up to other services because it's what what am I paying for? I'm paying to to hear commentary and punditry about the game that I'm choosing to watch. We didn't get that today. Yeah, I, I wasn't that annoyed until you made the point of who is that for? Because like, yeah, who who is that for? And I appreciate they've got to do a bit of build up, but no one is watching at that point. <laughs> like, I don't get it. Like, no one, no one watches the Arsenal Watford game as a warm up. Like, or maybe they are watching it and they're going to watch the game later, but they're not watching it to get into the game. Do you know what I mean? I. I yeah, yeah. I, I, it is frustrating. Welcome back to the Different Podcast. How are you doing? Hope you're doing well. Um, yeah, let's just jump into it. Bradley, do you have a word of the game? Oh God, it's, it's, oh yes, no. it literally, mine, no, I do, I do. It just, it just it escaped my brain. Uh, mine was lackadaisical. Would you like me to explain first or, or should we hear yours as well? Is it stylized with Lacazette, uh, like the L-A-C first? I suppose lack. As in lack dash sadistical. Yeah, could be, could be. I hadn't thought of could that. Be. Well done. Yeah, it was stupid. No, no, it wasn't. It was just stupid, Brad. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't encourage me. Uh, no, go for it. Go on. Um, I've never seen uh, for a long time. I haven't, I haven't seen us play so well and be so stupid and naive at points. You know, we were giving the ball away far too much uh, during periods. Um, we had, we were making silly, silly errors a lot during that game and silly, silly decisions that... And now listen, we have the luxury of having this conversation after a win. But what I will say is a more well-oiled team, because obviously Watford don't even know who they are anymore. They've had so many managers <laughs> stylistically. It's not like it knew. It's not like a team that has a way of playing and is succinct and clear. And they also don't have uh, an absolute plethora of talent. A team that does, and even if they don't have amazing amounts of talent, but a team that's well-oiled to de- to to build up and deal with those situations would have really punished a lot of the mistakes that we made today. We were great going forward, 
but in our control in defence and and even at some points in the midfield, where I really don't think we covered ourselves in glory, and we we gave ourselves real headaches and problems for a game that we dominated. It feels like, and so I just think that mm. there was not enough concentration, at, and and we were playing in a, in a kind of haphazard, lackadaisical manner where we were just not finding our feet. Yes. Yeah, I my word of the game is competitive for for a number of reasons. Firstly because I think we made the game competitive at times when it just didn't need to be. Mm. If we'd held onto the ball a bit longer, if we there was a few clearances down pitch which just didn't need to happen. There was a few moments of people getting caught on the ball, people giving the ball away and you know as you say, we're sat here with the privilege of a win, but we made it competitive, especially towards the end when we just didn't need it to be. We, we could have just held onto the ball, uh, you know, overloaded the midfield, held onto it. I appreciate Watford are pressing high, but we, we can beat a press. We can beat Watford's press. Um, but on the flip side, secondarily, we're looking competitive going forward mm. and we're looking competitive in terms of comparatively against the rest of the league. I think for the first time, in God, a couple of years at least, I'm starting to look around at other people's result results on the day we're not playing and going. Hope Chelsea lose today. Hope United lose today. And I think they are losing as we record. Um, you know, hope Spurs drop 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 points. There's a real sense of that kind of race on, which feels really competitive and really nice. And that comes from um, the way we're playing at the moment. And look, the, there are defensive issues. That, that sprung up today and that's been discussed in the in the post-match and we should discuss that as well and sort of more mm-hmm. granularly how they how they sort of formed but I think in a more macro sense I feel very uh, it, this is another example of a very competitive team and considering the age considering the the energy that is being transmitted considering some of the finishing today from players who are only going to get better uh, it's so good to see us competitive and competing with the teams around us um, and taking advantage of situations. You know, this weekend, I think West Ham lost, Spurs haven't played yet, United are going to lose, Wolves lost, and we went out there and got the job done. And it wasn't pretty at times, it wasn't perfect, but we went out there and got the job done. And that is that is a really, really good sign. And one thing you also have to consider is how many times have we sat on this podcast and said that we haven't had the luck? I, I, so many times last season, we had defeats against Everton that just felt like we weren't getting that moment, that rubber the green, and it, everything was going against us. To get top four and to win this league, you need to win games that you maybe don't deserve to win and you more deserve to draw because you get lucky. That's... Yeah. Ex- and and it's it's the same down the bottom end of the table. You need the luck of all of your opportunities because they are, they are normally few and far between to go in, and all of the op- opponents' opportunities to not go in. You know, so we 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 were due some luck. We've kind of cashed in that chip now. What's really important is we move forward back to the 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 more solid team that that kind of we've been known to be we we I'm when was the last clean sheet we picked up I think it was the one nil away at Wolves and I the the constant one goal against us is starting to stress me out a little because it, it, yeah. it's making us seem There's a, a bit more pregnable than we would usually be 
yeah, there's a, there's a certain trend there. I'm not a fan generally of of maxims in life, uh, and I don't think things can be often reduced to kind of pithy little one-liners. But I do believe this to be true: you make your own luck. And I think the more because we're creating more chances, because we are um, getting forward more, because we are much more chaotic, sort of controlled, controlled in a controlled sense, uh, chaotic in the final third, and able to be a bit more unpredictable. We are making our own luck, and I think. This is why, sort of generally, I try not to get bogged down in individual moments as a, as a fan. I think, it, you know, a ball going an inch higher and it goes in and that completely changes the narrative. That's not where I sit as a fan. I don't, I don't lurch around from week to week. What I do think is when you look over longer periods of time, if you're... The, certain things will go for you, certain things will go against you. But if you put yourself in enough situations where you're near their goal, you're going to score. You hang around the barbershop long enough. Here's another maxim. You're going to get a haircut. So I think I think you you make your own luck in these situations. And we tend to focus as a, not even fan base, as a kind of, speaking about punditry, as a, as a football world on individual moments. Whereas actually, I think what is exciting is we are putting ourselves in enough individual situations so that enough of them go for us so that the results go for us. And that's what's changed. That is the biggest thing that's changed, the amount of chances we've had. If you look back at any of our podcasts from the last season, or if you look back at any kind of commentary around Arsenal, one of the big things, actually, this leads us perfectly into the first thing I wanted to talk about. One of the big things was our chance creation. We just weren't creating enough chances. Smithrow comes in, speeds us up a little bit and we and we get there. But I first want to talk about Martin Odegaard today. I, I'm in awe of this guy. I tweeted out, you could fire a cannonball at his feet and he would control it. This man, I've, I don't, I genuinely, and this is not like a, I don't, I'm not, this is not hyperbolic. I don't think I've seen him miscontrol a football. I cannot recall a moment where I've seen him miscontrol the ball. He he's misplaced passes, but in terms of someone playing the ball into him, I don't think I've seen him miscontrol it. His technical ability is unbelievable, and what I think has changed. There was an article around uh, that Arteta um, uh, spoke in, and, and the, the quotes were in, and he said what he wants from uh, from Erdegaard is him to get a bit closer to the box, to be a bit closer to his striker, and to be more decisive in important moments and in and in big moments in a game. And that is exactly what he's doing. He's less dropping off and coming to receive the ball and more allowing the progression to happen and, and and him to be a bit more decisive in the final third. That is the biggest thing that I've seen. He's so consistent. He has so many areas of his game that are so useful for us. And I think the thing that changes him from a kind of Ozil prototype into his very own player is his work rate. Mm. on and off the ball he is there there's a moment uh, I think for their goal where I actually wasn't watching uh, Chuko Hernandez or he scored because I was watching Erdegaard because he was stopping someone coming in for a header and you know you know incident aside that is not something you know the, the blocking off and the physicality that he has as well uh, is improving too and I just I just think if he's playing well we play well and, and I just yeah I I I, I hats off to him and hats off of course to the deal but more importantly to the player because the player is improving and he's taken a massive step up from the player that he was on loan with us I don't think anyone could have predicted the levels that he's hitting he has managed to be probably a player of the month candidate in the last three months for Arsenal without 
getting what you would consider a ridiculous amount of goal contributions. It's it's everything. It, he is the total package in that midfield for us. And, I, you know, we, we've we've spoken a lot about what to do moving forward and what and and that last summer was um was kind of an opportunity to fill out the squad and we needed to get in a lot of players and then next summer the summer coming would be the the time to get level raisers but i think that he's been the biggest level raiser so far in this team by far and i i think i said on a podcast when we were discussing either him or james madison that I, I would worry about having Saka and Erdegaard play together, two left footers on that side where they want to occupy the same spaces, yada, yada, yada. And again, I was completely wrong, but they have developed some sort of, God, telekinetic relationship with each other that is just going to blossom and grow as the two of them grow as as footballers. And what we're starting to see again at Arsenal, which I haven't seen for a long, long time, is beautiful but effective football. Always under Wenger, we saw we saw kind of beauty. That was the way his his system was designed. But sometimes, a lot of the time, it wasn't effective enough. We're we're seeing the kind of merging of the two. So we're not losing our identity as a club or, or some of the things that we hold dear as fans and some of the reasons that we, you know, we loved to watch Arsenal, but we're also just being so ruthless with the ball. And I, I voice noted you this, I think during the game, one thing that has been a massive marked improvement is that we are no longer so one dimensional or two dimensional. We have, transformed ourselves into a team that will dominate the ball, dominate possession, thread balls uh, and score that way. And then after that's happened, if we're one or two nil up, well, we can sit back quite nicely. And like we saw a few times, we hit them with with devastating, accurate counters. And when has that ever been a phrase that you could link to Arsenal? You know, a devastating, accurate counterattack. It's, it's brilliant to see that we're not resting on our laurels and we're constantly trying to develop new patterns, new plays and and new ways to win football matches. I think you're totally right, mate. And I think, I think you're spot on about how we've become a multidimensional team. Um, and I think Erdegaard is part of that, of course, as, as other players are, but specifically he, his ability to, I mean, you know, his game by numbers, I've got it here, 91% pass accuracy, 27 final third passes, nine ball recoveries, you know, defensive acumen, unbelievable. Five ground duels won, four chances created and the goal scored. I mean, it's unbelievable. Ridiculous. And the thing that sticks out, thing that sticks out to me there is the 27 final third passes. If you ask yourself, just as a question in general, as a fan, who do I want on the ball in what areas of the pitch? Who do I want having my most touches in a team? Who do I want uh, in a 1v1 situation? We're putting the right players in those mm. positions. Who do I want having the most touches? I want it to be Ben White. That's who I want it to be in terms of, you know, in terms of our build-up because he can pick a pass, he can play all types of different balls and he's a, he's a really strong it's really strong technically. Who do I want in the final third having the most touches? It's Martin Erdegaard. Who do I want 1v1? It's Bakayo Saka. And we're seeing these situations occur and it's, 
it's credit to Arteta. It's credit to Arteta for, for creating the system because ultimately if all of these things are happening, it indicates that the the person pulling the strings off the pitch as opposed to on the pitch is is doing a good job. Um, more importantly than that, Bradley, the red shorts. Listen, I liked it. Horrendous. Is, just, is it just me? I quite enjoyed it. Get off the podcast. That's it. I'm going solo. <laughs> <laughs> That would be a terrible listen, podcast. Listen, we we all we all know you love to be a Justin Timberlake impersonator with those frosted tips, <laughs> but this isn't in sync. We're a it's package sync, deal. Brad. I'm going. I'm going solo. Um, yeah. So getting more uh, specific on the game, uh, offside goal immediately. I thought in a way it could go two ways. That it could kind of wake us up or sort of put the shitter up, up us but it looked as though it woke us up a little bit um structurally i, I disagree I, just I disagree actually i think i knew at that moment when that goal went in that would have absolutely woken us up and that is only because of the reaction sort we saw post the wolves goal yeah i i went yeah, well, I, um, yeah. this all I, mean, I, I was a bit like come on why aren't we awake we're <laughs> 45 seconds in What's going on? Um, it's like but, 15 or something. Yeah, so it's stupid. I, I missed literally every single goal today. I had to re- restart my stream and then rewatch. Like, fuming, fuming. I'm going to have to stop paying for services. position on BT and Sky. Um, but, yeah, I, I knew that the, the... And I think it is, that's the thing, it is, it's the reaction to those moments that give you confidence that we're not just going to crumble like Arsenal teams of old. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And and that comes straight away. And and I wanted to discuss the uh, the structure a little bit because I think it was really nice. I, I was at the, uh, the last Watford game when we played them at home. And Watford basically for the whole game sat in, I can't remember, I don't know if you remember that game, but Smith Rowe scored the only goal. Yeah, with the, the Danny Rose incident or whatever. What was the Danny Rose incident? Where he wanted us to kick oh, the we ball back. Pen. And yeah, we missed a pen and one of them faked an injury and they wanted us to give the ball back and we didn't and then we scored. Yeah, and they were like, you want to, you want to give the ball back? What for? Uh, <clears throat> <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, I just haven't talked to anyone this weekend. I just want to, just want to impress you, Brad, really. Um, yeah, I, I, I felt there was a kind of memories of the previous game thing. And I saw early on both players in terms of on the outside. So it would have been Tierney and Martinelli on the left. And I think it was Erdegaard and Saka on the right. Looked like they were really hugging the touchline to try and stretch us out and leaving party in the middle. It kind of early doors. <laughs> it's a weird kind of uh, metaphor, but it felt like a pair of bellows where we could sort of stretch them out in the middle third and then compress quickly in the in the sort of final third and and sort of tighten in and get inside quickly and combine quickly um, to kind of to kind of pressure them and, and and to try get you know to create chances and to score. I think over the game that became a bit more of a four three three, which I like to see because I think. If you look at all the top teams, if you look around Europe, most teams who are doing anything decent are playing a 4-3-3. You know, even United today are matching up City in a 4-3-3. And I think I think that's where people like to go because it creates 
and again, obviously, the formations are, are just guides. They're not really, a, you know, every, everyone has a different role in that. And it's more more interesting to look at that. But as a kind of overall perspective on it, I, I like that with party in the middle because he is so press resistant. And I felt this today that basically no one wants to go because then you just commit a man, you lose. You you like he I've nine times out of 10 party doesn't lose the ball if he's on it. I think he can be I think he can be pressed if he's receiving and lose it. But when he's on the ball facing the opposition goal, I back him nine times out of ten, and, and and I think teams see that and they and they back off. So he's a really good kind of middle spoke, I guess, especially against a team who don't press much um, or you know aren't particularly counter pressing. Um, so yeah, I thought Partey looked really really dominant in those early periods, uh, and the goal came from that combination on that right hand side. Erdegaard, do you know what the Erdegaard back here reminded me of? Do you remember his goal against the? West Brom under 23s in the Carabao Cup. Well, it did, yeah, that? didn't Aubameyang get four goals? <laughs> yeah, something like that. It was like it was like West Brom's like it's like, it like the owner's kids and like Amanda Staveley's son and you know whatever. Um, don't know where Amanda Staveley come from. Uh, <laughs> black and white team from the seventh um, circle of hell, apparently. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was it was accessible in ball in full flow really and I really I really loved it um, lovely combination from from Saka and Erdegaard as you say telekinetic um, and a great finish from Erdegaard and we were away and I thought I was thinking it was going to be a sort of quite comfortable afternoon uh, and the thing is it, it really was I don't think Watford created any chances that we didn't nearly fucking gift wrap them I, I was never going, oh, yes, this is a sensational piece of play from, I don't know, who who's one of their players? Cathcart. That's one of them. Um, Tom Cleverly. Tom Cleverly. Cleverly creating an opportunity. Hey, um, I was going to do that one. <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm on your hype now, you know. Um, I was never thinking that. It was always, we were we were creating a rod for our own back. We were just, we were getting in our own way. And I think that was perfectly surmised by the the penalty shout um for Lacazette where he just gets the ball stuck under his feet and then I think it you know it is a penalty they've had two free kicks from from that from that challenge previously in the game but if he just gets the ball out of his feet he's got a, an opportunity one-on-one with a keeper and he's just f- mm. falling all over himself mm. yeah I mean kind of go back to what you said before the they were kind of stretching us around pulling us around quite well and it was a, it was a good tempo but it was it was too open it was mm. far too open as a game we weren't we weren't holding onto the ball um and the goal came from that for them <sighs> it's one of those things we we texted didn't we and said okay possibly you know the the run could be tracked okay possibly Tierney's a bit narrow and we could discuss that a little bit later because I don't think he had a very good game possibly Partey could come for the header but also, ninety-eight percent of it for me is just what a fucking finish. <laughs> I mean, yeah, 100%. no one, no one's like, expecting that. Like, yeah, and it's like you've said before: two things can be true. Should Ben White be a bit more awake to the danger, and Gabriel the same? Yeah. Should somebody be anticipating that outside kind of overlapping run to whip the ball in for 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 the Watford player? Yes. But I said this to you. Those are the goals you want to see in football. So yeah, I kind right. of I kind of didn't mind it. It was one of those where I was like, do you know what? Fair play. 
hands and up. And the ones you want to concede as well. Yeah. I'd rather concede an absolute belter than Raheem Sterling at the back post out jumping Skodran Mustafi. It was holding. It's, it's been every every defender oh, been that everyone. we've had since about <laughs> 2013. Um, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, 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 I concur. And I think, you know, it's just a great finish. Like at some point you just have to go, yeah, great finish. Fair move enough. on. You know, fair enough. Um, Saka one v one was was causing them so many issues when we when we did have control in that final third. He's just he's unbelievable final third. He's the, so he good, is the sort of player who makes me go like oh, and I love those players when something happens and you're like fuck. It's like orgasmic. It's so good, man. That's why we um, watch football. It's for players yeah. like Saka, and it's for the moments that he he brings, and it it does make it ever so sweeter that he's an Arsenal lad. You know? Yeah. No, completely, completely. Um, before, I just want to talk about something in a second. But before I do that, I've never seen Arteta write something down. Yes, that was weird. And I've he, never it seen like, And I've realised like I never was, had. Um, it looked like he was using one of those pens, you know, like the black pens with the weird tribal stuff on it that you used to be able to rub the ink out with a weird little rubber oh, yeah. at the end. It looked like he was using one of those pens from when we were like 12 years old. I was like, yeah, I know, I know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> what a spot. Um, yeah, I've, I just realised I'd never seen him write anything down. I don't know why that stuck out to me, but it, it did. And I was like, oh, yeah, because normally you just see it and he's engaged and he's and you you assume he's got the sort of brain that can just... I have to write stuff down because otherwise I I just sort of get into a malaise. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't really got an analysis on that. I just think it's funny. Um, wanted to talk about our left-hand side because mm. they were stretching us around, they were pulling us and that was the side the goal came from but it also was the side that they were getting a lot of joy from Emmanuel Dennis doing quite well on our left-hand side. My kind of uh, Bradley Adams circa... 2020 reactionary comment was get Tierney off, put Tavares on. But I don't know. I I think Tierney's slightly getting used to a new role a little bit. I, I felt he was a little bit narrow at times and he got caught up the pitch a few times. I don't know. I just, I maybe this is my Tierney agenda coming out and I just want the thing about Tierney not being our long-term left back to be true. I just felt as though he wasn't able to do both sides of the game either particularly well it was kind of it was kind of burning the candle at both ends and not particularly doing either well it wasn't good putting good deliveries yeah. in nor I, was I he what you defending mean. well if if the defensive side isn't going well you want him to be having a storming day down that left hand right. side and Do you know what I mean? it, it, wasn't. it just felt it just felt he was getting no joy in in any of those moments sometimes that does just happen you know We've seen it happen to Saka. We've seen it happen to Smith Rowe. We've seen it happen to literally everybody in this team at points. You know, Ramsdale today, some of his passing was wayward. And it has been for a couple yes. of games. It it Sometimes things just aren't falling for you and there's no more reading into that needed. You know, because we know how, how yeah. good Tierney is and we know how good he can be. And I agree with you. I think he's getting used to playing in a new system with Xhaka being more advanced and he's probably used to having a bit more space down that left-hand side than he's now getting. Mm. So there's going to be an adjustment period for anyone who who's used to playing a certain way and is being asked to do something slightly different, especially when those... When you get to this level and changing into what Arteta, I think, wants, 
we say slight changes, but those slight changes changes are like the hardest things because they're the most minute, mm. intricate, difficult details and technical things that he wants you to be able to do. And it's just going to it's going to take time for this whole team to grow into that, especially when that's not their their forefront or their strength. I, I think Erdegaard's mm. taken to this like, a, you know, a fish to water because the one thing that you would pick out about Martin Erdegaard being his highest asset is his technical ability. So I, I, I just think it is going to take certain players a bit more time to fully adjust to this system. Because this is this is a this is a new thing. We've we've not even been playing this kind of auxiliary four three three for a full season, let alone half a season. Yes, yeah, um, the games really ten ten or so. Yeah. Games. So there's good. There's a much like much like at the start of this season when we were playing with a double pivot and we had all of our players in and we were picking up one nil wins against Burnley and, and Norwich. It took time to kind of grease the wheels and get the train moving in the right direction. And I just think it is to a, to a different level going to take the same amount of time to grease those wheels again, to get us moving down a different path. Go grease lightning. Go grease Um, Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I do hear you. I mean, he's, he's not being asked to occupy the kind of, fifth lane on that left-hand side anymore particularly it's Xhaka's getting more forward a bit more and occupying those spaces he's kind of a little bit less comfortable coming inside I wonder two things firstly I'd be interested in seeing Tavares in that role mm-hmm. to see how the dynamic changes but I also am aware that on the right-hand side what's going on between who's playing between Cedric and Tommy Yasu probably does affect that because I think yeah. Tierney probably feels with Cedric on that side I can't I'm kind of stuck in the middle and that's maybe where the thing he felt today and he's probably being asked to sit you know even just that 10 yards further back I imagine him on the halfway line and I imagine him uncomfortable do you know what I mean whereas if mm. I see him 1v1 in the in a situation where he's, he's he should be all right and I see him whipping a ball in at the other end do you know what I mean you know it just places where you see a player on the pitch and you think they look comfortable like Saka sort of on the edge of the box cutting inside you just think this is his. This is his space. This is where he is. Yeah. Partey right in the middle, holding onto the ball. That's his space. Ben White just behind him. That's his space. I think Tierney's is a little bit further forward than he's being asked to play at the moment. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I'd be interested in Tavares. I mean, it obviously depends on sort of Tommy Asu's fitness, but it's it's something to keep an eye on. Um, uh, and my gender will continue. Um, let's talk about the goal. Uh, it's great play from Saka. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. Yeah. And I sent you a picture of me with my jaw wide open because I just, it was an unbelievable bit of play. Uh, he wins it back, plays it to Lacazette with the little back heel and and it's a it's a great finish and on the opposite side to the way you think he's probably going to go. And I want to pick up one moment in that as well. When um, the poor boy, loser, uh, he, he tries, so Saka wins the ball off cleverly. I'm not going to make the joke. And he plays it into Lacazette. And as that happens, he has to get past loser. And they don't quite show it on the replay, but they did on a reverse angle. And I saw it and he just doesn't quite body check him, but he just gets it ahead in front of him. It's just a, it's just a desire thing. And look, loser slightly on the back foot, whatever, but there's a desire there. 
And there's a kind of hungriness to Saka that we're seeing this season. You know, I've, I've got his game by numbers here. This is just his first half. He had a 95.7% success rate, a key pass, an assist, a goal, 100% success in his long balls, 100% success in his dribbles, won three out of his four ground duels, two interceptions, two tackles. Like, he, you know, he, he was unbelievable. And then some other, I'm just pelting you with stats here, but they are relevant. Most combined goals and assists, players aged 21 or younger this season. Bakai Saka is top in the Premier League uh, with 13. Uh, Millsmith throws one behind with, um, one place behind with 11. And Phil Foden and Michael Alise are third and fourth and actually Martinelli's fifth. With uh, that also might have changed actually because could have Martin, yes. Martinelli then went on to score so so he's equal with Elise. Pretty sure he's um, equal with Elise now. Yes, yeah. So yeah, look, we know Saka's special, but I I suppose if there's anything new to say, there's a desire there. There's a kind of um, whereas beforehand you felt lovely player, very technically gifted, could work on his finishing. There's a kind of, I think there's been a bit of a mentality switch this season. There was a moment where Cedric, actually at the end of the first half, there was a moment where Cedric played a ball out of play or, or some, so it was some kind of situation where Cedric basically didn't give Saka the ball he wanted. And Saka went over and spoke to him as they were walking off the pitch at half time and said, you need to play that ball to me. And seemed really frustrated. And that's not something he'd do. And, that, and that's natural. You know, as you get older, mm. as your star grows, you're, you're going to be you're going to be able to do that. But I just think there's been a bit of a shift. I don't know whether it's related to I think to as the... well, when it's when it's players like Cedric, you are going to get... I think that's also an, an exacerbation thing. There's probably a lot of times where Cedric has had the opportunity to feed him those balls and, and, ha- and just hasn't spotted it or hasn't done it. Yeah, Maybe that's probably. just my Cedric agenda coming out. Yeah, um, there we go. We've all but... got agendas. Do you think it's related to the summer in any way? What I think it's related to is is the ambition of the club this season. I think there's a lot to prove for these, and I think that's why we're we're having so much success with these with these youngsters. Is they've got they've still got everything to prove. Listen, Bakayo Saka is a phenomenal player, but still needs to prove himself to be of the level. Of a of a maybe a, even a, a higher club than Arsenal right now. Well, ch- he's definitely Champions League level, but for him, I think he wants to be one of the best players in the world. So he he wants to prove himself to that that level, and he needs his teammates to feed him the opportunity to do that. The same with Martinelli. The same with Smith Rowe. The same with White Gabriel. I think that's why Gabriel is a bit rash sometimes and gets far too close because it comes out of a desire to want to be good and to want to do good rather than, I don't think it's like a personality trait. I just think that sometimes he tries a bit too hard, but I I do think it is this idea of these boys want to reach the top. And you can hear that from, from what they're saying in the press, you know, Martinelli coming out and saying, we're going to be one of the best teams in the world. You can, you can, you can understand that in the fact that they won't tell us what their target is, but they've told us that the target is high. So I think they're targeting third, not fourth, because mm. why wouldn't you just say that? Because it's, I mean, it, it is our, it's ours to lose now fourth. It's an open run. So if, why aren't we just coming out and saying, no, we're, we're targeting to consolidate that fourth spot. No, it's because they're, they're aiming for third, which is a smart thing to do. I, I just, I, I think also he 
he had a very decent relationship with Tommy Asu on that right-hand side. And the fact that that's been missing now for a little while, while Cedric has been a an admirable replacement, um, I think that the quicker that we do get Tommy Asu back, the better, because there is still in some parts of play something missing there. I, yeah. I think he was probably still uh, one of a, one of the better members of our back four today, Cedric, in certain phases. But then when you look at his game by numbers, you know, some of it is is shocking. Um, he attempted nine crosses and only one of them was accurate. And it, it it's things it, it's things like that that are going to frustrate the people around them who are, and it's probably the reason why there was there was issues with with Abamyang and with other players because people will start to get frustrated with profligate players who aren't doing what they need to for the team and who aren't of the level that's now needed for the team. This team has outgrown certain members of the squad, and the members that are growing are going to get frustrated that the other members aren't. I love it when you use long words. Profligate, such a good word. I do think you, I think you meant exacerbation when you said, no, I think you meant exasperation when you said exacerbation earlier, but anyway. Quite possibly. Long words. Um, You know, mate, I, 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 I do agree. And I think, I think the kind of players around him are are probably having an impact both positively and negatively. You know, the, the likes of Martin Erdegaard will be helping him in some senses and, and the likes of Cedric will be helping him in others, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, I, th- I think it's interesting, actually, we, we talked this week about Jude Bellingham. I don't think Saka's ever in, in danger of doing that, but there is kind of, too, you can go a bit too far with it and something Arteta, yeah. which I think Jude Bellingham at times does, there was a clip of him just screaming at Nico Schultz for a misplaced pass. And look, you, you get frustrated, he's a young player, he might, you know, that might change. But if I see like a 28-year-old player doing that, I'm like, come on, man. Like, just do it off the pitch. So, and I don't think there's ever ever risk of that, but there is a kind of niceness that Saka has that's shifting and I think will really help him. Um, And you can go too far, but yeah, definitely. Um, It was a bit of a shaky start to the second half. Ramsdale was a bit dodgy. uh, And then we got a third. Quick throw from Mikel. What a legend. Assist, assist from Mikel. assist. Uh... I'm sure there's an athletic article in teams getting like a point a, y- a year or a point over every five years for having younger managers just for like getting the ball back in play or something. Do you know what I mean? I'm sure it's like worth a point or something over a season um, uh, or a couple of seasons. Uh, great flick from Odegaard, great layoff from Lacazette and what a finish from Martinelli. Stupendous. He wasn't having He wasn't having his best game, but the thing is when you can finish like that, it doesn't matter. I remember Lexis used to just be so, you know, he was, he wasn't absent, but he'd have games where he just wasn't on it. And then just, he gets the ball and just sometimes pings it top in. So it doesn't matter. It's like, well, there you go. It's also sometimes that's what, that's what amazing forwards are. Amazing forwards sometimes have awful numbers in that they'll have a lot. I remember like Alexis losing the ball like over 20 times in a game, but scoring two goals. Because yeah. it it's the it's the willingness and ability to try things that will get you those advantageous moments. Yeah, you know yep. it's the 100%. fact that he's even though he's having a poor game, he's got the confidence to absolutely thwack it from thwack. thirty yard. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's it such is a comic, that, it's, such a comic book word thwack. 
<laughs> but but no, you get me. It's like right. it's you're totally right. even even though he's he's having a bad game, he's got the confidence in his ability to do that, and he does it. So yeah. he's elite. He is well. He's he's not elite yet, but that boy will be elite. Definitely, definitely. Lacazette one on one reminded me of the Europa League. Do you remember when he was through on goal and just fucked it? Uh, he just he just runs like he's got a beach ball under his feet. It's just it's just not good. Uh, but I, I don't want to talk about him. I've, I've had enough. He runs um, like uh, a like he he his brain used to be in the body of a six foot four man and has now been transported into Lacazette's body, <laughs> and he just doesn't know how to deal with short legs. That is that is very astute. Yeah. I mean, look, two assists for him today. Like you know, guy does what he needs to do for the I, team, I, and we we will yes remember no, him fondly. I don't, I, I think you can credit him for the assist for Saka because that's clever play. But I like the layoff for Martinelli is it's decent, but it's the finish that makes that rather than anything Brad, else. Brad, I think anything, he's mate. also got nine nine goals and assists in his last either ten games or ten Premier League games. Most of them really? assists, but yeah, I think so. I think he's on quite a hot. He's doing his job. Of, doing his job providing uh, what we're having the moments on the counter I just felt like we needed to slow the tempo down um, and we were creating some chaos in the final third which was nice and I felt like you know it could be a game we scored six or seven but I'd prefer us to just consolidate and get the game won the game felt very long was that just me? Felt, I think felt it was very just long. You. to be fair I did look at it thinking stoppage time's got to be coming now and we were in like the 79th minute and I was like I don't know <sighs> why it felt very long uh, nice tactical switch in the second half Xhaka was swapping sides to track Cleverly which meant um, Partey was a bit more free because Cleverly was kind of their only real sort of creative threat is there a pun around a clever switch and the name of the player I don't, I don't know I can't I can't think of it uh, and Getty hit the post which was nice and then a goal for them I mean, this one I am a bit more annoyed about and kind of brings us back to the beginning where it was poor defending from White and it's very annoying. Look, it's a, it's a good ball in, but White should have done better um, and they score, which is a shame because we shouldn't be conceding two against Watford, but we won. Listen, we, won. we got the three points. Got the three points, take it home, fantastic. The table, Bobby, Bradley, Bobby Olding, Bobby Olding came on. Oh, yeah, classic. Bobby Olding. Just to let you know as well. United are currently 3-1 down. Oh, that's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. Brad and I have have sacrificed Super Sunday to record this podcast. Yeah, so if you don't subscribe, God. What are you doing? <laughs> Who, Who are, are you? you? The table makes for very, very nice viewing. Three games in hand on United below us and a point, a point above them. Uh, a game in hand on Chelsea and we're only five points behind them. It's looking very, very tasty. Uh, we've got a very tricky week from next Sunday we've got the game against Leicester in the afternoon on the Sunday we then play uh, Liverpool that night on the Wednesday which I think I just I'm sort of just like whatever and then weirdly we have the early fixture on the Saturday so I'm hoping we see like Nketiah Pepe etc against Liverpool and just try and dig in I think we should like honestly I think we should just stick holding in there try and hit them on the counter and not worry about it too much and just just dig in. Like, you know, and, and don't try and control the game because we're not going to be able to. It's in the middle of a difficult week. I'm just I'm just like, don't worry about it. Yeah. Do not worry about it. Especially because we have the, the this buffer. 
if I would rather us beat Leicester and who are we playing the other side of Liverpool? It's Villa, isn't it? Villa, yeah. I'd much rather us focus on those two games and beat those teams and sacrifice the game against Liverpool because Definitely. the likelihood is is we could perform to our apex and still lose. 100%. And then that'll knacker us out. And that's absolutely fine, but they'll knacker us out for the... And, and you know, there will be some fans that be like, oh, you know, this is stupid thinking because you have to go into every game trying to win and you can't be just giving free hits out. If we focus too much on the... It was a bit of a Harry Redknapp on crack kind of impression. <laughs> is Harry Redknapp um, saying this? This is what he's saying. You and Harry have been yes. in touch and he said, Joe, you, know you can't give free hits out. Well, well yeah. Sandra, you know. <laughs> but it will knacker us out and we'll, if we, if we fuck up two of those three games because we're too tired from trying to run about too much against Liverpool, it will get the other teams much, much closer to us. There's no point. Sacrifice the Liverpool game, accept it as a defeat. If you get a nil-nil, fine. Literally, I want two banks of five and I, I want to see horrendous numbers. Horrendous numbers. I'm talking 8% possession across the whole game. I'd love it. I'd love I'm it. Talking Bobby Holding just, one shot, just knocking one it all One shot out. on target and it was, it was Rob Holding doing an overhead kick. <laughs> I would love that too. Let's have a quick visit to the Predictatron before we go to news and views. Bradley predicted a 2-0 win and I predicted a 3-1 win. So we're not winners, Brad, but Arsenal are. And we're, well. on for our four, we're on for our 42 points total for the end of the season. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we're going to win every game and win the league at this rate. Come on, Mikel's Tricky Reds. Also, one thing to note, we are the only team other than, well, we're one of four teams, Chelsea, Liverpool, City and us to win four games on the bounce. No, I'm an idiot, Brad. I'm an idiot. I put in threes for every game. Hang on. I put in threes for every game. I'm an absolute on the on the Excel spreadsheet. I'm an absolute loser. Ignore You're an me. absolute, yeah, massive loser. Actually, actually, what my points total was. I'm just having a look at it now. Give me a second. One, one, yeah. was thirty-two. That makes more sense. That makes much more sense. <laughs> and I can't believe it because I, I, maybe people noticed it that last had, episode. It yeah, it, it would have it had us on like 87 points. And yours was 32 as well. Yeah. Yeah. And we then we predicted, you predicted we'd, we'd get 76 points and I predicted we'd get 68 points. But anyway, there we go. Predictatron fixed. We're back. We're back, baby. We'll see you after this. Back to news and views, where we give you all the news and all your views, but mostly ours. Just a quick reminder that if you do enjoy these podcasts, please subscribe, turn on notifications, leave us a review, and please support us on Patreon, where you get access to ad-free versions of the main podcast and the preview podcast for just £3 a month. And for one-time support, head to buymeacoffee.com, where you can... Buy me a coffee. Anything you can give, monthly or one-off, helps the podcast. The links are in... The show description, right. Ben Scrivener says, Think Lacquer deserve, deserves more credit, two assists, and a selfless captain's performance. E- yes and no. 
He deserves credit for for the stu- like for the stuff he does, but so often he he for me just does not do basic things that I think a Premier League footballer should do, like get the ball out of your feet or not shank it out for a throw in. You know, um, I think he's getting the right level of plaudits and credit now that he's performing well and selflessly in this system, but. You know, I I don't think that there's any more that you can afford to him when he genuinely looks like somebody has removed his kneecaps or forgotten to oil him up before he starts running. It's like the Tin Man. Yeah. <laughs> um, Joel Osteen needs to die plus boycott Nestle, says... I would not swap Bakayi Saka for anyone in world football. I, I tweeted that. And then he said, actually, Mbappe, Haaland, Ansu Fati and Pedri. That's it. I wouldn't swap him for Ansu Fati. He's better than Ansu Fati and Ansu Fati has a horrendous injury record. Uh, and uh, I wouldn't. I don't think I'd swap him for Pedri. I think the only two players I would swap Bakayi Saka for right now, if we're talking youngsters, are Mbappe and Haaland. Yeah, I mean, in terms of quality, maybe Foden, like, maybe Foden. Well, he's got I think more. Foden goal, is, he's got more. He's got no, more I know, but I think that that also comes from a, from a systemic thing or what they're being asked to do. They are being asked to do very different jobs, but but as in, I think I would if you offered me a straight swap of three players in the world for for whoever, it would either be Mbappe, Haaland, or Foden. I wouldn't swap anyone else. Hmm. And in terms of right wingers in the league, I genuinely think he's second. Salah, best. Salah is better. Mares has a debate Mares, about it, mm. but, but I think Mares is currently better. Beyond that, I think Mares is probably currently better. But beyond that, and who would no you one. want now? You'd rather have the twenty-year-old, wouldn't you, rather than thirty-year-old? Of course, absolutely. So there you go. Um, oh, we also didn't do our word of the game battle from last time. We came out equal. Equal, Brad. Destiny was equal to special. And Octagon has said, big I'm win, glad. elation, overjoy. You both get the point. We can celebrate, right? BA5, AM2. It's a healthy result. It's a healthy result. Congratulations, my friend. To you or to, to both of us? To you. Um, thank you. We should talk about the man who made it all happen, Brad. Me. <laughs> Uh, Mikel <laughs> Arteta uh, Tim Stillman tweeted out during the week and I thought these were fascinating comments writing something about Arteta and looked back at that interview he gave after the last game of his career against Villa in 2016 for me to play at this club you have to be the best in your position when you lose that I think you should be away from this place I've probably been here too long in the last few months I probably didn't deserve to be here for me the standards you need to play for this club it cannot be 8 out of 10 it has to be 10 out of 10 when you cannot deliver that, it is not good enough. Sometimes people get away with it. Inside myself, my gut wasn't clean. And when you're like this, I prefer to make the decision myself. I think it just shows such a principled bloke and someone who really, really will not accept anything less than the highest of standards. And something that I love about Mikel post-match is he always discusses that they are going to go away and review what went wrong. And I know it sounds really mm. like... It's really obviously every team will do that, but I think to say it publicly and say no, no, we know we know we're not there. And every time you know they talk about you know you made so much progress and stuff, other managers kind of go like yeah, we, you know we've made so much progress and we feel really positive and you know we're just going to keep going and stuff. His take on it is yeah, we have made progress, but we're no we're still nowhere near where we want to be. 
And if we continue yeah. to make progress, and that's that's the goal, it just feels so. It feels like the right mentality to have spearheading the team, and and to see those comments, I just think are testament to this person that he clearly is, and a, and a very intense but but very principled and driven person. And I think that's exactly who we needed at the football club. Agree. Do you have nothing else to I, say? I, I <laughs> I, no, 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 no. Like because I can't, I, I can't, like dis- I don't disagree with that at all. And I think that's pretty much covered all bases. It, it shows. It's an interesting look into his psyche and it's obviously very interesting that that's something that he's carried into his coaching career. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And and you kind of, there was a sort of cut, cut scene, fucking hell. There was a, a video. No, what we're talking about, there was a, there was some footage of Pep Guardiola. There was a cut scene of Pep Guardiola in Grand Theft Auto V. Um, and uh, it was just the kind of, the intensity of how he's talking to his players. Like, I... I'm a pretty mild-mannered, like, you know, South Coast boy. Having someone who has that sort of drive and passion, you want to follow them. Like, you want to listen to what they say, and especially when clearly he's got the intelligence and the nous to back it up. Martin Erdegaard on Arteta this week said, I've never experienced a manager who is so sharp on details and small things in the game. He helps me a lot. I think it's fascinating, and I try to get as many tips as possible. Right from the start, I had a great sense for him. And... In your staunch Arteta out phase, which I will remind you of consistently, I was saying, look at the comments that these players are saying. You know, Kieran Tierney, I remember David Luiz, Bukayo Saka, like all these players were coming out and saying, look, Mikel is fucking great. Even the players who leave say Mikel is one of the best managers I've ever worked with, like Pablo Mari. So, you know, I I, I just think we are on to such a fucking winner here. And I feel so happy to yeah. say that about our club because I look around and I look at, I look at Man United and I think we could. You only have to look could, at Everton. Well, or any any club who is kind of because the thing the thing is we say we say look at Man United, but Man United are such a commercial entity that they've been able to fuck up so badly over the last however long. Ex- kind of assemble the most expensive squad in history and still be financially solvent moving forward, and and be pretty all right to just cut their losses and move on. You only have to look at teams who are a bit like, look at look at what's happened to Everton. They've spent a ridiculous amount of money and all they've done is get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And if we'd have continued down the road that we were going, that's exactly where we were going. We were going to become mid-table mediocrity and then we would fall further into obscurity. And we have halted that and changed that with the appointments that we have made. And credit to the board and credit to the people making decisions at the football club to go through that difficult period because I think that's what Man United need to do because the problem Mm. is they just keep doing sticking plasters. They keep going, well, we're Man United. We should be challenging for titles. No, 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 no. And it's like every single time you buy Cavani or you buy Ronaldo or you buy Di Maria or, you know, Falcao or whoever these players are who are seen as kind of exclamation points, you still haven't got the structure. You still haven't. And it's also the football structure on and off the pitch. You know, this isn't Man United podcast. I could go on about how I think, you know, they have too many points of failure and so many people making football decisions, blah, 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 blah. Point being, Arsenal went through a very sticky patch in terms of their reputation, in terms of people saying they're not even a big, you know, they're not a top six club anymore. We're still in a precarious situation. A couple of results, things start to look very, very, very different. I'm not saying that, Mm -hmm. but the general direction of travel, because we went through those difficult times in 2019, 2020, even 2021 and parts of 2022, 
because we're going through difficult patches and we're sticking to our principles and we're saying, look, we've, we think we've got an elite football coach on our, on our hands here. Let's make it, take advantage of that. Let's give him what he needs. It's credits to the football club. And, and, and as much as we criticize when things go badly, we should also praise when things go well and say, mm-hmm. you know, it's cause it's not this kind of, I think expectation, I'm sure there's some, good phrase that I could think of around expectation. I can't think of it now, but to, to me, it's a killer. It's a real killer of like, of where you should be and where, you know, we are this club, we should be. And you know, how many clubs, probably seven or eight clubs say, fans of that club say we're uh, yeah. insert name of this club we should be challenging for titles it's like no like it's you so can't strange. expect that it, your club is an inanimate object your club doesn't exist it's like when people say i want to play the man united way listen i want to stick to playing the beautiful football that arsenal used to play but there is no such thing as an arsenal way or a man united way because they're just made up things yeah. man united way we have as a football something. club is just a commercial entity. It's not actually real. It's not a, it's not a, it's not like an organism. It's it's not a real thing. It's just, it's, it's a piece of paper that says that this is this. Yeah, it's a uniting thing. No one has, no one, no one has the right to be consistently winning titles. No one has the right to be consistently challenging for them. No, no one has a, an imbued birthright as a football fan to have their club winning things. We all want that, of course, but sticking to that mentality and only signing Man United players or only signing Arsenal players is the things that, that cause these issues. Signing Harry Maguire, who is at best a Rob Holding style backs to the wall defender and has done his best work when doing that in a three when you want to be a forward thinking club, this is, this is why it's because we, we, we do, we carry these ideas of only signing players of a, of a certain ethos or of a certain style. And no, you have to, you have to do what, what Arsenal and what city and what Liverpool have done and buy players that suit the squad, suit the system and suit the manager. Yep. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and long-term thinking and, and strategy, are hard to get right, but you have to stick to some principles at some point, and 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 we've done that. Uh, also, just want to say, City four, United one, full time. Inject it. Um, I don't want to say anything politically. There was a message at the beginning of this podcast. Hopefully, you heard. Um, mm-hmm. giving our love and support to those people who are affected by the war in Russia. I don't want to say anything politically because I basically don't know anything, but you know, only the information that is available publicly. So what but what has happened is we are aware that Chelsea are being sold by Abramovich, and we can discuss that from a sporting perspective. And I wanted to get your take quickly before we end the show. It will depend on which owners come in, but I am interested in how that changes the dynamic of the top upper end of the of the Chelsea table. have only been a successful club because Roman Abramovich has been able to sports wash his money and throw a billion and a half pounds into it without without expecting any money back. That's the only reason they've been able to have their success because their entire model is being able to buy the new shiny toy and throw it away a year and a half later when it when it doesn't work anymore because they've changed the person playing with it. That is the only reason that Chelsea have built themselves up into having success. Um. I think it's a disgrace that the club hasn't been seized and that the club is allowed to be sold. Um, 
and I know that that's probably being done from a from a fans for for the fans, which I I do understand, and I have sympathy with a lot of Chelsea fans who are not bad human beings, whose club would be probably liquidated if it was seized, because they wouldn't have the ability to pay their players, they wouldn't have the ability to pay their staff, etc. So I have sympathy with them, but for then their fans to start singing Abramovich's name pre their game, it's it's disgraceful. Um. I don't understand how it's come to this, but one, there's a few things to note about this. Chelsea will never be the same football club again. They have a, a very old, I think, just over or just under 40,000-seater stadium. The stadium itself, well, the ground, the pitch, is owned by the fans, meaning that whoever buys Chelsea Football Club is not buying Stamford Bridge, in essence, and can't just build a new stadium without buying back the shares and the rights to the football pitch, which was sold by their last owner, Ken Bates, I think, to the fans as a way to include them in the deal. Um, Chelsea will never be the same again. Chelsea will definitely have to start running in completely different ways because they are not the commercial entity that Manchester United, that Liverpool and that even Arsenal are. They don't have the ties in other countries. They don't have the infrastructure. It is going to be a completely different landscape in football. Yeah. And with the with the inclusion of Newcastle uh, yep. over the next couple of years, it, it, the, the, the traditional top six or big six could be very, very different and could look very different. Uh, in a way, I'm excited to see how that shakes out for Arsenal from an Arsenal perspective um, and to see to see if there, there's any advantage we can we can take from that because if we can get rid of one of those traditional you know the people that if we're sit, if we're taking a group of say three people above us who we know we basically would struggle against this season although Chelsea probably you know I, I, I back us but you know I, I wouldn't say it's a kind of done deal um, yeah it'll be interesting to see how that how that changes uh, Brad we've just got time for a little bit of Arsenal trivia. The theme last week was Arsenal captains. And I asked you, when did Patrick Vieira play for Juventus? In what season did Patrick Vieira play for Juventus? It was one season. 2006, 2007? Oh, it was 2005, 2006. Oh, on. Lucky Chucky. And the question for this week, Bradley gave me a theme for this week, and it was left-footed Arsenal footballers. So the question I'm asking this week is, what one major trophy did Robin Van Persie win for Arsenal? Your question for this week is, what one major trophy did Robin Van Persie win for Arsenal? The theme for next week, please, Bradley. Woolwich Arsenal. Arsenal before the move. Woolwich Arsenal. Finishing the show as we do now with a little quote with a from the little, little book of Arsenal. <clears throat> Freddie Lundberg. It is not so enjoyable to score goals if the team does not win. Very profound that, mm. in a way. <laughs> Group success over personal success. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? Bradley, it is a pleasure as always. 
Never a chore, my friend. Any plans for the evening? I'm going to see a film. What film are you seeing? I'm seeing The Batman again. Again? I loved it so much. Um... I'm going to see it again for the for the second time in two days. Apparently, as well because of the style, there's a lot of things that you you might miss if you don't if you don't rewatch. So, my mum pays for me to have this silly wildcard thing, so I can just go see as many movies as I like in a month. So, I'm going to see it again. That's nice. Bank of Mum, eh? Can't wait. God, you privileged. Oh, mate, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to bloody survive without without it. Christ, no, I am. I'm a very very lucky lucky boy. Thank you, mother. We're lucky, Brad, to know you. How about oh, that? No. I'm lucky. I'm lucky to have you, my friend. No, no, come on. I'm lucky. No, no, come on. Right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. No, no, no. Appreciate come it. On. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, as always, for listening. Keep it different, knock. Uh, and we'll see you later. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to the Different Knock podcast. Please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon and buymeacoffee.com, find us on Twitter at DiffKnock, and visit our website, thedifferentknock.com. Thanks. Podcast Network.